0: Hi everyone! Welcome to the It's Growing Season podcast. I'm your host Maggie and this series will be about all things related to real growth, true health and wellness, and learning to love and care for yourself. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I hope this podcast inspires you to invest in yourself more and to never stop growing into the best version of you. So without further ado, let's jump right into the show! Hi everyone, welcome back to the It's Growing Season podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today for another episode where I share my conversation with Jenny and Kathleen from the Grown Up Asian with you all. Jenny and Kathleen are physicians and life coaches who coach women around discovering their true selves, fighting that inner critic, tackling perfectionism, and learning to take control of your own life. I'm super excited to share this conversation with you all as we learn to ask ourselves the right questions and to help us create a life that we love. So without further ado, let's jump right into the episode. Hi, Jenny and Kathleen. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Hi, Maggie. Thanks for having us. Hi, thanks. We're so excited. I know you're both very busy people, so I really appreciate you both
0: taking the time to chat with me. Um, Before we dive into the conversation today, I would love if you guys could introduce yourself so the listeners can get to know you first.
1: Sure. Um, So, my name is Jenny Fagel. I am an internal medicine doctor. Um, I'm also a life coach, and I currently live in Pennsylvania. I just recently moved from New Jersey. Um, I'm also a mom of two young girls. They're two and three years old. And I co-founded the Grown Up Asian with Kathleen Wang. Um, And so with our coaching, we really try to help Asian women specifically. We coach around a lot of topics such as, you know, perfectionism, which we're going to talk about today. I'm really excited about that. Um, But a lot of things like um, relationships and having an abundant mindset and
2: imposter syndrome. So lots of different things that we cover. Hey, I'm Kathleen Wang. I currently live in North Carolina. I'm a pediatric allergist. So I see children um, with allergic diseases as well as uh, problems with their immune system. I am also a life coach and I don't have any children, but I have way too many houseplants. (laughs) And I am the other half of the grown-up Asian. And Jenny and I just love what we do. We really find it so rewarding to be able to help our clients change their lives by really teaching them how to manage their minds is really at, at the root of what we do.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for the self, self-help community because it has allowed me to meet such like-minded people like you guys. Um, I'd love to learn more about what you guys do and you know how your careers led you both to becoming life coaches, like separate from your, your jobs as physicians.
1: Yeah. So I, last year with the start of the pandemic, um, I think I was feeling very burnt out prior to that um, for a number of reasons. I had recently went back to work um, from taking some time off after having my second baby. Um, And so that transition was difficult. Working primarily like in a hospital inpatient setting, and then changing to like a clinic job. So you know, with any kind of change in a job setting, I think I experienced just a lot of stress with that transition. And then on top of that, you know, COVID happened. And I found myself incredibly burnt out and just disheartened at the state of affairs, um, like everyone else. And so I actually sought help from a life coach myself. And I didn't realize this at the time, but there was um, like a small burgeoning community of physicians that were coaches that I didn't even realize that did coaching on the side. And so I had a physician internal medicine doctor coach me, and it truly changed my life. Um, I've done therapy before, um, and I think there's a lot of value in it. Um, But coaching really spoke to me in a way that was very future oriented in a way that helped me uh, realize what I wanted to do next. And that really changed everything. Um, so I decided to get coach training and then I ended up actually starting a business to coach medical students and other young doctors. Um, I just think that there's a lot of, there's a space for, you know, young physicians and trainees where they don't really, get to talk about their emotions. It's kind of taboo. It's sort of just like put your nose down and study. And, you know, like you, you're a student. I think you like lots of students feel that way. You know, there's not a lot of room to grow and like self-help and like wellness (laughs) isn't really things that you address um, when you're a student. And so I wanted to fill that space. And that's how I met Kathleen (laughs) on social media. As I was promoting that business, which I still do um, on the side, and so we really bonded um, over our upbringing as Asian women and Asian physicians um, and juggling it all, and we became fast friends. And really, the rest is history.
2: Yeah, Jenny explained a lot. A lot of it. I'll just give a little bit of background on, on how I came about coaching. I had what I think is a typical Asian upbringing. Um, I was born in China. I had, um, or I came to the US when in early grade school, and I had what I liked, I think is a pretty traditional upbringing in the sense that, you know, I was encouraged to get good grades, do a lot of extracurriculars, um, go into a traditional job field. Um, I wanted to, to be a doctor that was what I wanted to do, but it certainly was encouraged. That's one of the things that you're encouraged to do, right? Doctor, lawyer, engineer. Um, And so, you know, fast forward over 10 years of medical training, I just was at a point in my life when I thought that things would be much easier. And what I noticed that wasn't easier at this point in my life is I still felt very at the mercy of my emotions and things happening around me. Like, I didn't feel in control. And especially when COVID hit, and I'm the director of my medical clinic, it just caused a lot of stress and really amplified all the difficulties I was having, feeling like in control. So I found life coaching through this, like Jenny said, this community of physician life coaches, and it really, it changed the way I really saw everything. I've been very open about being someone who goes to therapy regularly, but they're, they're similar, but they're different. Life coaching really gives you a lot of skills and it's very action oriented. And so I found Jenny through her Instagram and she likes to say, I slid into her DMS (laughs) and yes, like she said, the rest is history. So here we are. Um, We just feel very called to help other women in the same way that we've been helped.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And yeah, you touched a little bit about the difference between coaching and therapy. Um, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like therapy is more, people know more about, it, I guess it's like coaching is, um, is newer. Um, mm-hmm. I've only heard about coaching in recent years. Just wondering if you guys could talk a little bit about the difference.
1: Yeah. I think both of us pretty much echo that. You know, I always joke around that the first exposure to coaching that I had life coaching was from the Kardashians show because Rob Kardashian had this life coach that would, I'm sure. Okay. If he ever listens to this, I'm sure he's an amazing life coach, but my perception was that he would just like hang out with Rob and like make smoothies for him and like, kind of, I don't know, just like, I don't know, just be his friend. But that was what I thought life coaching was. So I thought it was something, you know, reserved for really wealthy celebrities or like Fortune 500 CEOs type of thing. Um, and so when I heard that other physicians were doing it, you know, obviously, if like your colleagues are doing it, I was it like piqued my interest. I'm like, oh, OK, like they, you know, they subscribe to this. They believe in it. I'm going to give it a, a, a chance. And um, like Kathleen said, I I think that there are a lot of similarities. And, you know, we have the utmost respect for our, our colleagues that are therapists, that are social workers and psychiatrists that deal with mental illness. I think coaching has its place. It is definitely more present oriented and, and future oriented. Whereas I do think therapy tends to try to untangle a lot of past trauma um, in order to heal yourself, which, like I said, there's absolutely a need for that. But I feel like coaching answers that question, you know, well, what's next? Like, what do I do? What do I do now? (laughs) Um, And I think that a lot of people um, can find value in that. Mm
0: -hmm. So it's more like action oriented, what are you going to do next? And how are you going to move forward from this? Whereas Mm -hmm. therapy is something that you know you're healing past trauma and i yeah. feel like people could benefit from doing both perhaps
1: yeah for sure and i even feel it's like complementary um i think that there sometimes isn't that time and that space in a therapy session to really delve into what's next you know because you're it sometimes takes a lot of time and effort and reflection to go over these heavy you know, past traumas and burdens. And another thing is, I think coaching really lends itself to this concept of accountability, too, um, that I don't think, you know, obviously, therapy might not have the time to do. Um, But having like an accountability partner, having someone that is like a thought partner, um, we always like to say, you know, we're not the expert, like, the client is the expert of their own life, um, and we just ask the powerful questions in order for them to, to come to their own conclusions and think about things differently. Um, so that's really how how we like to describe it. I love how you guys say that
0: you're just the people asking the questions, but you have the power and the knowledge to break free from all these problems yourself. And yeah, today I wanted to open up the conversation about the unique Asian experience since you guys are the grown up Asian. (laughs) I especially think that the concept of Asian hustle culture such as you know being a model student or being the model daughter friend stuff like that is a big factor that contributes to the strive for perfectionism something I really want to talk about today. So I want to ask you guys if you could talk a little bit about this idea of perfectionism and why it manifests in the first
1: place that's such a good question. I think at the root of it really is this common thread of people pleasing that I think that we're, we're um, raised with growing up. And I even notice it, you know, even subconsciously or unintentionally, like when my parents are around my, my kids, um, they'll say things like, okay, be a good girl, like be a good girl always. (laughs) Or like, you know, it's, it's almost like this performative behavior. It's like, you do this, And then that makes me happy as a mom or as a grandma or whatever. And we're just like, it's this this cycle. And I don't think that it's something that they are like, okay, I'm going to emotionally manipulate my grandchild right now. But it comes, you know, like now that I'm more aware of that, That's definitely a thing and and reflecting on my own childhood, which, you know, I feel very blessed to have the childhood that I had and even more so talking with a lot of the women that we coach and our clients, there is that common thread of people pleasing and um, performing, like being the best, being the model minority and and noticing that that garners a lot of praise and that garners positive, um, you know, reinforcement. Um, And it's, it's that awareness, I think, is really important at this stage in order to break free from that, in order to break free from this idea that we need to perform and achieve in order to be worth something.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. And I think perfectionism, like a lot of other things underlie it as well. There's another common thread that perfectionists can be very afraid of failure or mistakes and that's why they go kind of above and beyond um, to fix the little things that they think other people will notice. So how my perfectionism comes out in, in like daily life is when I do presentations or like when I, after I see a patient in clinic and I have to write their their the notes um, for other doctors to read, I used to just spend so much time on each note. So if I'm seeing a bunch of patients a day and then I spend an hour writing that encounter, you can imagine that's just impossible to keep up with. Similar with presentations, I would like tweak little things of the presentation. It was all for optics. Like I was concerned what other people would think of me when they read my notes or when they saw my presentation. Um, And so fear of failure And fear to make a mistake, um, I think, is something that is a result of our upbringing or a lot of our upbringings and is also underlying perfectionism.
0: Mm. Yeah. Like now I'm creating a lot of artwork for my podcast and I I started drawing on my iPad. And it takes me so long Mm -hmm. to make one post because I just keep – fixing these little things, but no one notices them. And it's all just because I'm afraid of what other people will think.
1: And that's actually um, a pretty famous Brene Brown quote. I'm gonna um, paraphrase here, but it's something like perfectionism is about one thing. What does everyone else think, Mm. basically, Um, which I think Kathleen alluded to. And um, it was It was just recognizing that in myself um, and realizing that that's the difference between like healthy striving, which is, you know, you're working hard and doing your best just for yourself. Um, And you're not as concerned, like Kathleen was saying, about the optics um, is an important distinction that we help our clients make.
0: Mm. And I understand that you're both, like you said, Jenny, you were helping people who are on the pre-med track, right? Like students. And a friend of mine actually asked me to address this whole aspect of stress and being a pre-med student. And personally, I'm not a pre-med student, but I think this would be a perfect time to address this because, you know, since you guys have both been on that track and being a perfectionist and needing to get good grades, especially under this whole Asian stereotype and this need to get good grades, like how does one overcome this huge mental barrier?
1: Yeah, that is such a good question. Um, And looking back, you know, we're both pretty far removed from our pre-med college days. Um, But I can tell you, it mimics or echoes very much like what we're talking about as far as like, what is everyone going to think? Cause that's something that I thought about a lot. It was, it was a lot of comparative behavior. It was a lot of like, what did this person get on the test? What did this person get? Oh my gosh, they did better than me. And instead of just focusing on myself and reminding myself, why am I doing this? You know, what is the reason? Am I doing this so that when I'm 35 and I'm with a patient I can tell them that I scored higher on a biochemistry test than, you know, my classmate. No, you're doing it to help your patients and to become a doctor and to make an impact in that way. So I think, you know, it's really difficult in the moment, especially when being pre-med and and undergoing this long career trajectory it's really based on meritocracy. So it's, you know, it's the grades. <laughs> it's all about grades and these external, um, you know, markers of success. And I think that's what makes it so, so hard. Um, so I guess my my advice is just to have that, try to have that self-awareness cultivate it even as young as 18 when you're pre-med, if you can, because it's just going to get worse, like the longer <laughs> you're in it. I mean, I feel like every stage there's opportunity to compare yourself and to feel bad about
2: yourself and not celebrate your own wins and your own success. I second that, Jenny. And also, I actually have two younger siblings who are in the med or pre-med track. One is in med school right now, another is pre-med. And having now kind of like a 10,000 feet view of the situation I would say that I was wrapped up in perfectionism because I felt like everything mattered like I it had such weight like that one test had such weight like Jenny would say and I always had this thought that the progress if I wanted to be this in my career, you know, have you seen that drawing where the progress myth is like one line? It's like a straight line up linear line, but the reality is like there's loops up and down. And I think I always thought it was one way up. And if I fell off that track, it was really hard to get back. But the reality is there's a lot of ups and downs in life. And if you get off track there's another way to get back on track. Maybe that's like the more scenic route, right? So it's hard to see that when you're um, pre-med and it's so competitive to get in, into med school, but as someone who also reviews applications for you know, residency and fellowship, the people that really impress me are the ones who get off track or fail, so to speak, and then find their way back. That shows a lot of resilience and just a level of maturity, I think, that can be lacking um, when you just go straight through to everything.
0: Mm, I always say progress is not a linear line. It's an upward squiggle because you got to go up and down, you know, but as long as you're making progress and it might not be the progress that you expect to see, but I truly believe that, you know, if you put in the work and you also take time for yourself and not make Mm -hmm. work in school your entire life, that's when you truly make progress.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I also wanted to add, I think like identifying what you're good at and what your strengths are from an earlier age is really important because it it keeps things in perspective. Like Kathleen was saying, Um, you know, if someone does better at certain classes or what, like everyone has their own strengths and that's okay. Um, so it's not like you have to be just as good at everything than your neighbor. So that was something that I didn't really think about much when I was, you know, um, pre-med and in medical school. Like, I think like many people, you just think that you have to be the best at everything mm. all the time. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's no surprise that people get burnt out. hmm
0: How do you guys make the distinction between positive goal setting and working towards a bigger goal versus perfectionism and perfectionism that ends up being detrimental to your
1: mental health? I think just keeping in mind like why you're doing what you're doing and having it be focused more on yourself instead of, you know, what other people want or expectations of you. Um, That's something else that we coach around a lot like this sense of duty or these expectations that, you know, whether it's your family or your siblings or people place on you, um, you just have to remember who you are and and what you want out of life and make sure that you're living, you know, in alignment with that. I think a couple of months ago, a couple of weeks ago, I saw one of you guys, I think it was
0: Kathleen post on your Instagram. It was about this round table negotiating of people expecting your time and expecting having certain expectations for me. Do you remember posting about that?
2: Yes, I did. I actually, um, I did that exercise because my wellness coach asked me to do it. I was feeling very overwhelmed with all the things I had to do in my life. And she said, "How about all those things come to the table. You act like they're, they're people and they're negotiating for your time. What does that negotiating look like? And what is what do you think that negotiation should look like? So for example, um, I really value time with my husband. Um, but when I examined this round table negotiation, his voice was very, it was not very loud at the table when It should have been loud um, because time with him is important.
0: Yeah, you just can't pour from an empty cup and you always have to prioritize the things that are important to you and not let things like work and academics be that big of a part of your life to the point where you're not enjoying personal time. You're not enjoying time with family and your loved ones. Because I think that especially as a college student, we often tie our self-worth to the college we end up going to, the our academic achievements, whether we get an internship or like LinkedIn is so toxic. <laughs> but
1: yes. Is it really? <laughs> We're not like that active on LinkedIn. I was trying to get more connections <laughs>
0: recently. You always get notifications about, you know, your friend getting this internship or that your friend, you know, starting this new position at a job. And it can kind of make you feel like you're not doing enough. And I see this so often. People are always saying, oh, I should be getting an internship. But Mm -hmm. do you actually want one?
1: Right. Like, Mm
0: -hmm. I definitely have this struggle as well. But I have tried to use social media and use stuff like LinkedIn in a more, I try to, be more aware of the time I spend Mm -hmm. on it and why I'm actually on there.
1: Yeah. It's so crazy how there's like literally 10 different platforms that you can be on these days that like all make you feel bad about yourself Mm -hmm. Um, just because it is this constant like barrage of just what everyone else is doing. It makes you look inward and not in a healthy way. (laughs) Mm Yeah. Yeah. And in addition to the star for perfection, I think that
0: a secondary layer to this is the inner critic. I wanted to ask you guys about this idea of the inner voice and what is this inner voice and how does one go about overcoming this?
1: Yeah, totally. We coach around this a lot too. Um, so the inner critic, you know, it's everyone has one and it's usually based. It's like a, an amalgamation almost a combination of like you know, maybe what your family has been saying past, you know, your belief system, things that you've experienced in the past, maybe past like disparaging comments, all of these things just have this narrative in your mind that now runs where, you know, you can get triggered by certain things. And it it, it basically is just a voice that tries to keep you down. And, you know, it has this false sense of security, like it's trying to protect you somewhat, so it might put you down in a way that's just like incredibly negative, but you're like, oh, should I listen to it? <laughs> but there's this phenomenon in psychology um, basically called automatic negative thoughts, ANTs. And it's it's this proven known thing that we tend to just think negatively um, about ourselves and situations. And um, what we teach our clients is to, first of all, be aware that you have this, this narrative. Um, A lot of people don't even realize that they just automatically go down this rabbit hole of negative, like negative thought patterns. Um, So that's like really the first step is just even being aware that you're talking like this to yourself and and questioning, you know, is this even true? Like, is this a hundred percent accurate? Um, Why why am I thinking this way? Did something happen to me in my past that is trying to, you know, come up again?
2: Awareness is everything, Jenny. What you were saying before, it made me think of the saying like negative thoughts are like Velcro Mm -hmm. and positive thoughts are like Teflon. They just slide right off. And so just being aware of the inner critic, knowing what it is. And yeah, it feels very protective. In a way, it is protective because your brain... You know, years and years, When I say years ago, I mean a long time ago, right? Your brain is meant to protect you from threats, um, and that used to be physical threats. Now it's more so psychological threats, and so your brain is wired to be protective. But those protective mechanisms don't really serve us anymore.
0: Mm. Yeah, that reminds me of the whole concept of the ego and like protecting the ego because. Mm. I'm reading a book called A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but he talks about the ego and protecting the ego. And I think that what you guys said about, you know, this
1: protective mechanism of what is it even trying to protect you from? I think maybe you had, like, for for example – you were younger and you got embarrassed about something because you did something wrong. So then, like if a certain situation comes up like that again, I don't know. Maybe you got like yelled at or something like that by your parents in front of your friends. I don't know. Um, so then maybe there's another circumstance in your adult adulthood at work, perhaps where maybe your boss is yelling at you and and that's like triggering to you because it reminds you of these childhood experiences. We talk a lot about you know, these triggers and identifying them. Like for me personally, this, I just became aware of this, like within the last year. Um, but my, my parents really micromanaged me and would basically, I mean, I say coddling, but which is probably true, but they coddled me and didn't really allow me to like make mistakes or like make my own decisions. And so now like a big trigger for me that often comes up, you know, with my, husband is if I feel like he's telling me what to do even if he's not like I really that like sets me off so it's like identifying these triggers whether it's in your relationships or how you talk to yourself it's so important
2: I have the same trigger Jenny (laughs) if someone tells me what to do or tells me the right way to do something I just lose it or I used to lose it I'm much better now
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, it's like the self awareness thing. I think a lot of people just go through life not realizing that that that's a trigger, and that trigger is based on, you know, these heavy things that have happened in the past. But yeah, taking the time to examine them and see how it shows up in your in your life now in the present is is so important.
0: Mm. So identifying your triggers and recognizing that those are things that perhaps cause your inner critic to come up but then how does what's the next step like how does one go about shutting it off do you want to shut it off or is there a difference between positive you know inner criticism that helps you grow compared to you know something that is more destructive this is like the similar a similar question as the whole perfectionism thing but I'm wondering because everyone has an inner voice like we're always talking but I feel like inside we talk to ourselves more than we talk to other people so How do Mm -hmm. we make that distinction?
1: I think one of the first things that you have to do is, you know, we, we are big fans of journaling. So what I like to do is I, if I'm like, deeply troubled about something. I, we do like these thought dumps. I know Kathleen does this too, or we'll do it with each other, um, frankly, because we just coach each other a lot about personal things, but it's like clearing out the cobwebs. Like your mind is just a very, it's a very complex place. And sometimes you need to put it down on paper or talk to someone who is listening to you from an objective standpoint who can hear you and challenge you in an appropriate way. Um, because like I said, it, based on your belief system and just like, you know, your past experiences, sometimes we we just really skew events and things that are happening, um, our circumstances in it, like almost like we over identify or over amplify certain things. Or another thing is that we'll just go down like a negative automatic negative thought and just have negative feelings and thoughts about it. So that's like one you know, actionable thing that we always tell people is get it down on paper, or talk to someone talk to a, a, a coach. I mean, you can talk to a friend, we always say that it's it's hard, like a friend just kind of agrees with what you're saying, <laughs> because they know you and they just want to be supportive. And that's the purpose of a friend. But having a coach or a therapist that, you know, can be purely objective is is really valuable too. and really, you know, examining from a very rational place, these thoughts that you're having and and challenge them. I work, like I said, with a lot of medical students and residents and other young um, attending. Some of our clients have been other physicians and you'd be, I always say this, like a lot of these people are so accomplished, right? Like on paper and if you saw them walking down the street or work with them, you'd just be like, wow, they have it all together. But inside, they have like this as the same way, like with all of us, these inner critics that come up. Um, and when we really dissect it, you know, in our coaching sessions together, it, it becomes pretty obvious when they say things out loud and when we challenge them in, a, in, you know, like a respectful way, it becomes really obvious that they aren't looking things in a, an objective fashion. That they are skewing things or they are over identifying or over-amplifying certain thoughts because of you know past experiences.
2: I have to echo that. The inner critic is helpful if you examine it and the evidence points towards that it's trying to protect you. Let's say that you're going for a promotion and you have no experience to be successful in that promotion, like your inner critic is protecting you, right? You don't have the necessary skills, experience to be able to do a good job potentially. I mean, you could argue that that may not be objective either, but in that situation, your inner critic is protecting you. Um, inner critic is very closely tied to imposter syndrome. So let's say you're going for the same promotion and you have years of experience um, and the expertise, but someone else is applying and maybe they have more experience and your inner critic is saying that you're not qualified for the job. The evidence is that you are qualified for the job. In that case, your inner critic is more Is detrimental to your progress. So I think a lot of it is what Jenny said, parsing out facts from your own personal opinion. And it's hard when you're in your own head. So writing it down is one step, working with a coach is another step.
0: Mm. I like what you guys said about brain dumping in a journal because. I think that more people are starting to journal out, which is great. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times we just kind of write down how we feel. And I want to tie this to the fact that you guys ask the questions. You ask the questions to your clients and you don't put words into their mouths. And I kind of relate that to prompted journaling because I Mm -hmm. started doing that recently and it makes me think about things that I don't usually think about. It challenges my thought processes and it makes me think, you know, it asks me, just as an example, ask me, like, what does it mean to be confident? Or what does it mean to be your truest self, stuff like that. But I don't usually think about that in my everyday life. So I think like, you guys being life coaches and asking people these questions to kind of, you know, help them dig deeper and like peel away each layer is quite similar to prompted journaling.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, I've done prompted journaling before, and that has, you know, at the start of all this, it really sparked my interest. There is a lot of similarities with that and, and coaching. I think when you are forced to articulate things that you don't normally articulate, like what is your truest self? What are you afraid of? You know, what are your fears? Like these are things that I think we superficially think about. But to say out loud, like, I'm afraid to fail, like, that is powerful. I, I mean, it's just like, recognizing that is so important, because then you can, you can realize that you do that and and maybe ask yourself, how is this holding me back? How is this preventing me from showing up in, you know, like my most authentic way? And so we see that response a lot when we coach. People will be like, oh, I never thought of it that way. Or yeah, that's a good question. Um, and that's, you know, what, that's what we do, and why we love to do it. We don't, like, we don't give advice. That's something that I think is a common misconception is, Is people think that we are so presumptuous that we're just telling people, you know, advice and things like that. But it really goes back to that, you know, the client is the expert of their own life. Um, We're not presuming like we know, you know, all the fine details and of their situation. And really what we we try to do at the end of the day is, is empower them. It's this sense of empowerment that I, in particular, was lacking before, um, you know, when I started all this. I didn't feel like I was in control. And now I, I truly feel like I am.
0: What does it feel like to be fully in control in your life? And I understand that you guys also help women discover their true selves or live their best life. What does this look
2: like? So, being in control means that no matter what happens to you, which is out of your control, you know that you have control over your thoughts, your emotions, your actions. And that is very empowering. It means that I could put you in any situation and you can choose how to feel in that situation.
1: Yeah. So, we talk a lot about authenticity with our coaching. I think a lot of people, like just echoing what we discussed before, how A lot of women, especially Asian women, they kind of just feel like they're bystanders of their own life. Um, At least the women that we've talked to, I don't want to speak like in a monolith or anything like that. Um, But a lot of them do feel that way. Um, And that's why they seek our help. They, They feel like either they were not like forced, but heavily encouraged to pursue a specific profession that they might not have or they feel unfulfilled in the current job that they have, or their relationships um, are, you know, tense. And I think that it's recognizing that you can be in control and that you don't have to answer to anyone. You don't have to seek permission from anyone, which really goes against, you know, our upbringing. (laughs) Um, Mine in particular, because I felt like I had to ask permission for everything. I grew up in a very strict, you know, Filipino upbringing. I was the only girl. So um, like I said before, I felt coddled and, you know, very supported, but not really encouraged to grow and fail and, you know, things like that. And so to wake up one day and realize after doing this work, you know, that I truly do feel like a grown-up. That's kind of where it came from when me and Kathleen were brainstorming about names. Now I'm thinking of all the other names that we had on our short list, which were just kind of funny. Um, But, you know, the grown-up Asian... It, it really is embodying this sense of empowerment, living authentically and for yourself and not for your parents or for your siblings or for your friends or for your aunties and uncles and everyone else out there who is expecting you to live a life that's not your own. Um, and that's really our, our big wish and our big hope is to reach as many women that need this kind of help. I just want to put that on a poster and just stick it everywhere
0: because (laughs) everyone needs to learn how to just live for themselves. And we're always striving to, you know, impress a certain person or live life for other people. But are you really going to live like that for the rest of your life? Like, are you going to really live your life for other people for the rest of your life? I love what you guys said about being able to handle situations and being able to be in any situation with a mindset that isn't skewed by someone else's opinions Mm. and I feel that completely because when I'm in certain situations and things don't go the way I planned the people around me could be very negative and they're like Mm -hmm. oh why is this happening to me but I think that when you have learned to take control of your life and I'm not saying that I have control of my life I think this is still a work in progress but I think I'm better able to control my emotions and my reactions to things, because there are so many things in life that you cannot control. There's so many situations, circumstances, but the thing you can control is your reaction to those situations.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. 100%. That's everything. Um, I recently, are you on these like Facebook groups, like subtle Asian women and, I was yeah. on there the other day and someone, I mean, there's so many common themes about this stuff, right? Guys, it's like, it's like literally every day someone's like, what do I do? And I'm like with my aunts and uncles and they're all like giving me their <laughs> opinions. I wrote this like long message to someone because I just wanted to help her. I just wanted to be like, I told her, you know, um, so opinions, they're everywhere. <laughs> they're never going to stop it, but it's what you make these opinions mean. Uh, what do you make them mean? Are they true? Um, do you even agree with them? I th- it starts with that. It starts with recognizing that that someone doesn't have the power and control to influence how you feel and how what and how you decide to react. Like you can choose that. And I think it's so often when you're in that, and I've been there, where it's just like, oh my God, like my parents are annoying. my aunts and uncles are blah, blah, blah blah. But you're not thinking about the power that you have. You're just not, you're like not in that mindset. It's very much like, why do they have to be this way? Why? And I get it. Like, I, I mean, I still, I still complain. <laughs> and that's when I call Kathleen to be like, why, why is this happening to me? And she'll like, you know, steer me in the right direction. But it's so, it's so easy to do that and to fall and to fall into that mindset. Um, but it, you have to have that awareness. Yeah, I think Asking the right questions is
0: like a set of tools that you can have in your toolkit. Because like you guys just said that you you both still struggle and you oh, totally. still need the support of each other, but you have the tools to get out of that quicker than when you mm-hmm. were living life on autopilot and not asking yourself those questions. And I love that because just like, you know, prompted journaling, if you have these questions, you have these tools to quickly take yourself out of a negative situation Turn it into a positive and just move on with life.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. I think, you know, coaches, life coaches, wellness coaches, we're not immune to having these negative thoughts. It's not like all of a sudden we're like on autopilot positive thoughts like (laughs) 24-7. But I I agree with that description. I think that we recognize it faster, especially if we have each other to talk to and we can like pull ourselves out of that, where in the past, that is something I would have been lamenting about for like weeks on end.
2: (laughs) What we say to our clients is that life coaching, I think there's a little bit of a misconception that life coaching is teaching you how to have positive emotions only. But it's really not. It's teaching you how you have control over your emotions. So if you want more positive emotions, you have the power to change your negative emotions into positive um, to positive ones. But regardless, um, even though we do live coaching, we get coached, we have all the tools, I still like to remind everyone that if you have negative emotions, you're not doing it wrong. Like it's part of the human experience to have positive and negative emotions. And even when you're doing it right, you're going to have negative emotions. Um, So it's not to strive to feel happy all the time. That's not the goal. It's to strive to grow and to really feel like you have power. Because feeling disempowered and like a victim can feel really just terrible yeah, thank you guys so much for
0: that so yeah I have one last question to end the podcast this is something that I ask everyone who comes on to my show since my podcast is called the it's growing season I believe that just like crops humans go through different seasons in their lives so I wanted to ask you guys
2: how do you define the season in your life
1: that's such a good question
2: <laughs> I would say that this is a season of me growing at my own rate and not like looking at everyone else around me how fast are they growing you know i'm just growing to the best of my abilities um so cute and and i'm no longer dying like my succulents
1: (laughs) Um, I was going to say that I think I am embodying a season of hope. And I think that that really comes after, you know, a challenging year for everyone, you know, 2020 was difficult. But I think the recent, you know, I don't know if you, you probably follow the US (laughs) inauguration, I just feel like we're turning a corner and I do feel hopeful about lots of things in my life particularly this business and you know my relationships I feel are very strong um and I'm just I'm just so thankful and and grateful to be connecting with um with you too Maggie and to all the people that we've we've met along this journey
0: yeah thank you guys so much what what services do you guys
2: offer and where can listeners find you we have a group coaching program that we're currently enrolling for, and we help women with some of these topics we've covered, which include perfectionism, if you're a failure family relationships, as well as any relationship in their life on purpose and how to be your authentic self. And you can find us on Instagram where we're most active. We're at the Grown Up Asian, pretty much everywhere, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, but we are most active on Instagram. Friend us. We love to connect with you there. Yes, and
1: our website is thegrownupasian.com um, and you can schedule a call with um, me or Kathleen um, we can talk to you more about what we what we do
0: yeah and I'll put all your links in the show notes below thank you guys so much for joining me today it was such an honor having this conversation with you too and thank you for the work that you do in helping Asian women create a life that they love thanks Maggie we had so much thanks. fun thanks Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to leave me a review and give me a follow. And you can also find me on my Instagram at mags.lee and at It's Growing Season, as well as my website, which is growwithmaggie.com. And you'll be able to find all of this in the show notes below. Thank you so much again for taking the time to listen. And I hope to see you in a future episode.
2: Bye, everybody.